Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to this latest version of uh, Tales, Tales from Outer Space, where I take an HFY story from somewhere around the internet and read it aloud for your enjoyment. All the relevant links are down below. Like, subscribe, and all that YouTube comf to help this video and channel grow. Anyways, as always, I hope that you enjoy. I would just like to thank the following tier 5 patrons and channel members for supporting the channel. Fallen Angel. Buzz Kennington, Data Magnet, and Bob the Dragon. Thank you again, and now on to the story. Story number one. Why the humans haven't lost. Written by the Maniacal Monocle. You've no doubt read a thousand of these bait articles by now, but you've got to bear with me on this one. In case you haven't been reading my underground reports from their homeworld, the humans are still giving the Imperium hell. Their planet is pretty beat up, even by post-bombardment standards. But these two armed bipeds are tough. I won't give a play-by-play -play of their physiology. You can read about that somewhere else. I will tell you that these humans have a long cultural history of fighting and resistance. Against two, I hear you ask, across the vast distance of space against themselves. The humans have been fighting and oppressing each other ever since they discovered this sharpened stick. To summarize nearly 10,000 years of history, they know how to fight impossible odds. Last fall, local season, I witnessed close up a resistance squad ambush an occupation tank crawler, but available in the media section of the archive. A grouping of a dozen humans had set up an improvised explosives and tangles to interfere with the Imperium's tank's combo, Dread Harbor Movement System. The tank shuddered to a halt and its large guns were helpless against the agile resistance fighters. Like possessed carrions, I saw them dismantle the tank and disappear before the occupation had sounded any alarm. They left the Chiron tank drivers like embarrassed travelers caught unarmed against the trained bandits. You would have completely forgotten that they were a trained tank crew. Something more miraculous happened afterwards. The occupation came in and interrogated nearly everyone in the neighborhood, myself included. From what I could glean, their resistance fighters lived in this neighborhood, but no one sold them out. I saw Chiron interrogators hit the max volume on their vocalizers while person after person refused to name names. A fine show of solidarity at that. But a true marvel was when the occupation interrogated Imperium residents. Not even they cooperated. Just picture it, dear reader, an enforcement squad of Chirons going up to Holoitus locals and hearing those short avians tell them, What tech? I don't remember any attack happening today. Ancestors blessed me for not laughing while it happened. I watched that the Chiron officer turned every visible shade while the whole neighborhood resisted him. From the way his subordinates behaved, this was not the first time a neighborhood had stonewalled them. This display of cross-species solidarity bewildered me at the time. I've since done some digging on more recent historical research. Other, less involved reporters will tell you the incomplete history of humanity. They will all end their discussion about a hundred years ago, as if the failed war of pacification is the end of the story. I will gladly tell you that these other authors 
are amateurs. An eventful century has passed since then, and not a lot of people are writing about it. Resistance movements against the occupation didn't necessarily start so much as they transitioned from the formal war. The main human resistance movements find their origin in the former militaries that fought the Imperium during the war. While the Imperium's fleets withdrew and declared a victory, tenacious pockets of fighters remained and disrupted the leftovers, the occupation. Initially, these resistance movements were outgunned and outmanned. The occupation had access to massive stockpiles of arms and technology. The human race was still playing catch-up in both of those arenas, and catch-up they would. As others would tell you in more detail, the occupation was never reinforced. The Imperium left these companies and battalions of stay-behinds with little to control the planet. Within a decade or so, most if not all of the really impressive firepower and tech had been used up or broken down. Without the industry and infrastructure to repair and replace these advanced materials, the resistance slowly gained advantage. To maintain their hold on the planet, the occupation quickly set up an infrastructure to settle down. Yonk birthing facilities were built in human oceans. Chiron spawning pools were set up anywhere humid and hot enough. I've even heard of a couple hiffen nests that are up and running. You walk into a major occupation city, and you'll find human supermarkets mixed with Imperium-style bazaars. Hot cult flakes next to cornflakes. Going local was inevitable. So where does the resistance play into all of this? Integration. The occupation was constantly wary of humans, ghettos developed in many cities. But humans don't have the same Imperium moral codes. Humans don't care if a Chiron wants to be an artist and not a soldier. Humans won't bulk at a Heloitus speaking its mind. Soon, the local Imperium species warmed up to these humans' ideas of a costless living. Now, when the occupation deals with a power outage or a raided weapons depot, the suspects could be anyone. Now the occupation has to enforce its rules on humans and Imperium species alike. 32 standard years after the war was declared won, you start to see reports of local Chirons fighting with human resistance groups. You will not see it in the Imperium space or net feeds, so I have included it here. I've interviewed some of them. This is why the humans aren't beaten. Not yet. The reason their fight isn't just to get their homeworld back. Now they have several reasons. Now they have all the reasons of the Imperium's downtrodden. All the grievances that never get aired on Imperium worlds are being laid bare on the occupation. Earth isn't some war-torn backwater. It's the starting point of something new. Something revolutionary. Stay tuned to this net feed and remember to use the privatization blockers. Cast Dan reporting in the field from Earth. End of story. Story number two. Culture Shock. Written by Ice Cream and Wine. The tiny human woman stood in the center of the council room. Blanked by his secretary, Carla Ramirez, and her bodyguard, Stonkel, 82 inches of blood, bone, and metal. Humanity has asked for this meeting in order to address the discovery of a proposed course of action 
that could become very costly to those involved. Forty years ago, when humanity petitioned to join the League of Planets, we were laughed at and subjected to derision. We were informed that in no way were we going to be allowed to become the eighth member of the League. However, you graciously allowed us to become a trading partner only, neither an ally nor a friend. No doubt you saw humanity as no threat, hence our non-admittance to the League. Humanity and the League are both done well from this arrangement. Trade is beneficial to both sides. Having said that, that left humanity free to do as we wished without the approval or censure of the League. The records state that my predecessor told you that you would probably regret the decision to hold humanity at arms, tentacles, paws length in order to retain your control of League space. The time for that regret seems almost to have come to pass, for we have evidence that the League is going to invade the Lacrete system for their resources. There was a general hubbub amongst the League delegates. Cries of monstrous lies, foul slander were heard from all sides. The Lorcanar delegate shouted, Prove it! She turned to look at him. The name of your stealth ship that performed the survey on the Lacrete system was the Dranic. We were surprised that you still used it, bearing in mind its involvement in what really happened on Ayanari 3. The Lorcanet delegate's facial features stood straight up and turned grey, a sign of extreme shock. It sat down heavily, refusing to look at the other delegates. Bearing in mind that the Lacretes are not even at a level of humanity was when the Zaran invaded Earth thirty years ago. We had no space navy as such, just a few armed freighters and shuttles. I'm sure you all know what happened. We kicked the seven bowels out of the Zanan when they landed, captured their tank and repurposed it for ourselves. And in the process, furthered our development by several hundred years, nearly all at once. I invite you to visit humanity's mission statement from when we contacted you all those years ago. I doubt if you took it seriously back then. Mission Statement If you are our friends or allies, there is practically nothing that we would not do for you. If you are our enemies, there is practically nothing that we would not do to you. Born and bred on the east end of London, Michelle Dubois, humanity's representative, walked forward and drew herself up to a full five feet, one inch, and somehow seemed to dominate the Roma. With the merest breath of French accent, she said, Listen very carefully. I shall say this only once. Humanity considers the decree to be our friends. Behind her, Carla Ramirez shrugged her shoulders and shook her head sadly and proffered a 50-credit chit to Stronkel, who nodded and stowed it in one of his pockets. I only have one more thing to say, said Michelle. Choose wisely. End of story. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed, and if you do, please consider supporting the author, even by popping over and leaving a thumbs up or a nice comment, just to show your appreciation for the story. 
However, if you wish to support this channel, there are links down below which will help immensely. I will see you all in the next one. And until then, I hope that you have a fantastic day. Cheers.